a donkey, palm leaves, and a king. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. Well, David, now that we have our Bibles, how about we read this passage today? Okay. It's from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Jesus and his followers were coming closer to Jerusalem, but first they stopped at Bethphage, at the hill called the Mount of Olives. From there, Jesus sent two of his followers into the town. He said to them, Go to the town you can see there. When you enter it, you will find the donkey tied there with its colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you why you are taking the donkeys, tell him, The master needs them. He will send them back soon. This was to make clear the full meaning of what the prophet said. Tell the people of Jerusalem, your king is coming to you. He is gentle and riding on a donkey. He is on the colt of a donkey. The followers went and did what Jesus told them to do. They brought the donkey and the colt to Jesus. They laid their coats on the donkeys, and Jesus sat on them. Many people spread their coats on the road before Jesus. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Some of the people were walking ahead of Jesus. Others were walking behind him. All the people were shouting, Praise to the Son of David. God bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise to the God in heaven. Then Jesus went into Jerusalem. The city was filled with excitement. The people asked, Who is this man? The crowd answered, This man is Jesus. He is the prophet from the town of Nazareth in Galilee. What an exciting day! The king has arrived. Jesus had been in and out of Jerusalem many times, David, but On this day, it is such a dramatic entrance. What's up with that? It is. Some people enter a room. Others make an entrance. Here is an entrance. Yeah, this is the climax of his whole ministry. It's been building up to this point. His ministry now has come to an end. His whole life has been brought up to this point. And so we're almost to the climax of the story of Jesus. Things are going to really heat up now as he enters this last week of his life, which is called the Passion Week. This Passion Week begins with this dramatic and this symbolic entry into the city of Jerusalem. Well, when you say symbolic, you can read this on one level as a very interesting event, but the symbolism here seems to me like it points all the way back to the Old Testament. This is not just a little symbolic. There are layers and layers, once again, to what's being said. Well, yeah, Jesus' whole life is a fulfillment of the story of Israel. His life is connected back to the story of Israel, as we read about in the Old Testament. You know, God had made promises to his people, and God is faithful to his word, and God has been fulfilling and will fulfill his word in and through Jesus. And so, yeah, it reaches this climatic point, the end of his 
ministry as he enters Jerusalem. So if we go back to chapter 20, Jesus leaves Jericho, it says, at the end of chapter 20, but he leaves Jericho with a large crowd of followers. So Jesus is not just with his 12, he's with a large crowd of followers. And right outside of Jerusalem, he stops at this little village, Bethphage, which is just next to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is only just less than a mile or about a kilometer outside of Jerusalem. And so he pauses here on his journey, and he instructs two of his disciples. They're not named. We don't know which ones they were. But anyway, he says, go into this village. He said, you'll find a donkey and its colt. Grab them, bring them to me. If anyone asks, just tell them, hey, the master needs them. Jesus had a lot of followers in his ministry, not just the 12. There's a large crowd following him. Jesus had followers and disciples probably in many of the villages that he preached in. And so he probably has followers here in Bethphage as well. So there's quite a few people who were following Jesus. All of them weren't literally traveling with him. There were others, and there were many others who were sympathetic to Jesus. So I think that sets the stage for what we're going to be talking about, how Jesus enters Jerusalem. Well, when I look at this passage of Scripture, the outline is not very complicated. I could say it's really in two parts, two points. There's the preparation for the king entering the city, and that's verses 1 through 6. And then I'll just say the parade after that, the entrance of the king, and that's verses 7 through 11. So it's two main points. He sends the disciples ahead to prepare, and then all that preparation's done. So the king chooses to make his entrance into Jerusalem. Why would it be Jerusalem? Well, where else would it be? It's their historic capital. It's where the temple is. It's the seat of power. It's where, and where the temple is, it's where God, God's presence is. This is where kings are coronated or crowned. And so, yes, Jesus needed to go into Jerusalem to be crowned as king. Maybe not in the way a lot of kings are crowned, but he will be crowned. That's right. It's interesting that Jesus rides on a donkey. That's not something you would automatically think a king would ride on like these days. Why, why would it be a donkey? Historically, donkeys were the animals that were ridden by kings after they achieved a victory, symbol of peace, that they've won the battle, they've won the victory. When they were charging into battle, they may ride a horse, a stallion, but now when the victory is won, they ride a donkey to show their humility before the people. And this is what Jesus is doing. So this riding a donkey is not lost on the people. They know exactly what Jesus was intending by doing this, that he was claiming to be their king. And they accepted him as their king, especially here as we read uh, in Matthew. I think if you read the same event in the different Gospels, and this is one that's in all four Gospels, if you read Luke's version, he talks a little bit more about the emotions of the event, especially Jesus' emotions, what he's thinking. Actually, he's crying for Jerusalem. He says, oh, you think this is a big parade and all of that. If you only knew what the king has to do to bring peace, because he knows what's just about to happen that very week. And then if you read in John, his version involves more of the politics because there were the people cheering, and Matthew doesn't talk about 
the Pharisees in the audience, but you know John does. There's also the enemies here. They don't like this popularity of this king. There's trouble brewing. So Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and Matthew reminds us that this is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. And he quotes from Zechariah chapter 9, in particular verse 9. But if you go back to that text in Zechariah, that whole text is about God doing battle with Israel's enemies. And many of Israel's enemies are named, those enemies that surrounded Judah and Jerusalem and God's people. And God will deal with them. And it says there that your king is coming to you humble and riding on a donkey. And then a little bit later in chapter 9, it talks about God has rescued his people. He has saved his people. And so it's not just that one verse that Matthew wants us to connect with this event, but but what's going on in Zechariah chapter 9, that God is rescuing his people by defeating Israel's enemies and bringing salvation to them. And, you know, it matters that he's the king, because we think of Jesus often, we think of him as Savior, we think of him as the one we talk to in prayer, but he is the king. He is also our king, and we are his subjects, and we relate to him in that way. He's above us. A king is different from the people. He has responsibility. He has power. He represents strength and hope and so many things. Jesus is the king riding on a donkey. You know, there's another text of Scripture in the Old Testament that may shed some light on Jesus, the significance of what Jesus is doing. When King David was an old man, he was about to die. There was the question about who was going to reign in his place. So what he does, and this is in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33 and 34, he gives instructions to uh, take Solomon to Gihon, and he says, tell Solomon to ride my mule to Gihon and there anoint him to be the next king over Israel. We have an example of Solomon riding a donkey to be anointed as king. So that's another part of this background. You know, there's more history here that will help us understand Jesus's intentions and his uh, symbolic ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. About 200 years before this time, Israel was under the domination of the remnants of the Greek empire. And one of these Greek kings was based in Syria, and he was cruel and tried to exterminate the Jewish faith. I mean, he made it against the law to circumcise Jewish boys. He burned scrolls of the law. He set up idols in the temple, and he even sacrificed a pig on the altar in the Holy of Holies. The future of God's people actually was at stake. And there was one person, Judas Maccabeus, and he had some sons and many others, and they rose up against this king, and they began a war with him. They began to fight back. And this war lasted for three years. And although they were outnumbered and outgunned, Judas Maccabees and his rebels defeated the king. And in celebration, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people lined the streets and they cheered him on, and this important event in Jewish history is celebrated every year at the Feast of Dedication, commemorating the rededication of the temple to make it pure again so worship of God can take place once again. 
And this feast actually is mentioned in the New Testament. And today, this eight-day celebration is called Hanukkah. Well, that's so amazing. And those events, although 200 years before this, they would have been known to these people. So we have the symbolism of the whole Old Testament. We have what the prophets said, and this is being fulfilled. But even in recent history, people would have been thinking about that. And this is rich. This event is so rich in symbolism. Yeah, he enters Jerusalem with his great fanfare, but there's some twist to the story as well. There's both truth and irony in his arrival in Jerusalem. As we've been talking about, he enters Jerusalem in a way that symbolically proclaims himself as king, and the crowd is publicly affirming him as their king. But we know a week later, he will die on the cross, and above his head is written, the king of the Jews. So this crowd here that affirms him as king week later, will turn on him and reject him as their king. You see, Jesus was not the kind of king that they expected. They wanted a king like King David that could win militarily, or like Judas Maccabeus. But Jesus was not going to be that kind of king. Yeah, he was going to do battle and gain victory over the enemy, but their enemy really wasn't Rome. It was the dark power behind Rome. Even more powerful than Rome. Oh, yeah. We, you know, they could see Rome, but they couldn't see what he could see. He could see the true enemy, and he knew he had the power to conquer that enemy. But here on this day, they're claiming him to be king. So this is a victory procession. They believe that Jesus will give them victory over the enemy. Jesus will give them victory over the, the real enemy. That Jesus will rescue them out of the clutches of their real enemy. He will defeat the the real enemy that is oppressing them. So the people are praising, saying, Hosanna. Hosanna means God save us. God save us now. So they were expecting this to happen right now. So we have this event in the life of Jesus, this amazing day where he enters into Jerusalem. And in this snapshot, it's all looking good. It's all looking amazing. I want to go away from this scripture, this story, thinking about Jesus as the king, the king of kings. And I want to do that thinking for myself and think how I am a subject of the king. But David, as we teach, there are so many rich lessons that our students can learn from this passage. What would you do in an adult Bible class? Well, one thing I would do is in a class, read the story and then ask the class to name all the characters in the story and to note or to say what they did and or what they said. So if you were teaching the class, you would ask this question to the class and let them tell the answer. Someone will say, Jesus, of course, he's the main character in the story. Then there are the disciples. There's no named disciples. What did the disciples do? They followed Jesus. They obeyed him in getting the donkey. And then there is the crowd. That's another character. I mean, the crowd can be a character itself. And they're shouting. They're spreading their cloaks and branches, and they're confessing Jesus as king. And there's others in the crowd who are confessing Jesus as this prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. But there's one other character actually, in this story. 
it's the donkey. This donkey doesn't have a speaking part, but the donkey is there. It's not a major character, but the donkey played its part. And I guess the question you can ask, when God calls you, do you play your part or not? Just think about that. So that's one question that we can talk about. This story has many things that can challenge us. I would ask the class, who is Jesus? That's a simple question, and often we think, oh yeah, we know who Jesus is. But these people thought they knew who Jesus was too. They were proclaiming him to be king, and they were, but they weren't doing that a week later. So we asked the question, who is Jesus? And perhaps you will get several responses in the class. Perhaps someone will say, well, he's my savior. That's true. That's right. But this text affirms Jesus to be king. I would ask, what is different about confessing Jesus as savior and confessing Jesus as king? And what difference would it make to you in your life? What difference would it make to you in how you make choices in life? Confessing Jesus as Savior and confessing Jesus as King. And one other thing, how far are you willing to go with Jesus? Just part of a procession into the city with all the rah, rah, rah? Or are you willing to go with Jesus all the way to the cross? What stage are you at with Jesus? So those are a few questions and challenges from this story that I would talk about in an adult class. So Mary, what about a children's class? I'm sure you have several ideas that will help the story come alive to children. Can I go back to your adult class for a minute? Because I think this could work for children and adults. Here in New Zealand, we're a Commonwealth country. And so one thing that's been on our minds a lot is the coronation of King Charles, the King of England, because he is our king as a Commonwealth country. And, you know, that's been on people's minds. So uh, there's an opportunity to talk about something that is on people's minds and draw some comparisons. It was a big event, the coronation. A lot of us here in New Zealand, that would happen late at night. So we had to stay up very late, early into the early morning hours to watch the coronation. But there are so many rich things that you can talk about. It's nothing on the level of Jesus as the king. But I thought it was really interesting. Both of us noticed when King Charles got out of the carriage, walked up the steps of Westminster Abbey, he was greeted at the front not by another king, not by the head of the whole Church of England. He was greeted by a child. And both of us thought, this is amazing. A child greeted him. And, and did you write down, David, what he said? I did. I thought it was interesting that he was the only person in the whole ceremony that had his lines memorized. Everyone else was looking at cue cards. He says, as the children of the kingdom, we welcome you in the name of the king of kings. And that's how the whole ceremony began. So in all that pomp and circumstance, and there were a lot of kind of religious connotations to that ceremony, but isn't it amazing the humility that was expected of this king. He came not to, in the one sense, lord it over the people, but to serve the people. And that was represented by a child. 
So I think that would be a great discussion, what that means. So that's adult class, but it's also, you know, of course, the children think that's pretty amazing that a child got to begin the whole ceremony. So making it real like that, making it relate to what's going on in in our world around us, that's so important in Bible class, because these aren't just stuffy old stories in a dusty book. These were actual events with actual people and even animals in this case. So I want to talk about that with the kids and make sure they understand this, this really happened. There, of course, are a lot of crafts and activities you can do just because they're fun and and they will help the children remember this. It's palm branches. So if you have palm trees available and you can get some leaves, there's some great crafts. You can just look up online how to make a cross with a palm leaf. It just shows you how to bend it and manipulate it and make it into a cross. That's a lot of fun. Kids feel a big sense of accomplishment, something older children can do. Of course, there's the donkey. They can do something with the donkey, a craft about Jesus riding a donkey. There are a lot of symbolism things you can do just to mark the occasion. You could do a crown. You could decorate a crown. I think it's really important not just to give information and help them learn the facts of the story, but I really want children to go away with some new abilities. I want to make sure they understand how to worship the king. And it doesn't come necessarily naturally. It's not just complimenting God or complimenting Jesus or saying good things. It's actually talking to him and telling him that you know how amazing he is. And I think I would just use two phrases. And I would say, Jesus, you are, I might even write that on the board, Jesus, you are blank. And then the next sentence, because you blank. And then we'd fill in the blanks. So we'd practice. So I'd start him off. Jesus, you are strong. Because you stopped a storm. Jesus, you are holy because you appeared on a mountain with Elijah and Moses. Jesus, you are so loving because you helped people that were sick. I think I'd just continue that and we could go around thinking of all the things we could to say to Jesus and to say to God about how amazing they are. That is worshiping the king. That is recognizing his powers and his abilities. And that's something that they can learn to do because they can do that in their prayers, and it will bring a richness to their prayers. So I think that would be a really good one. This whole event in the life of Jesus is a good reminder to me about him being a king and putting me in my correct position as his subject. I relate to him in awe that he is the king. He is above me, and I serve him. It's not the other way around that he's here to do what I need all the time. I also worship him. This means a lot to me. And I hope that you in this 
study and as you read this passage that you can feel those same things and that you'll want to share them with adults or children that you're teaching. And may God bless you as you speak into the lives of adults and children. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children.